If you've got a Bible in front of you, if we could turn to um, Micah chapter 7, verse 14 to 20, it's on page 885 if you've got a church Bible in front of you. I'm going to read from verse 14 down to the end of the book. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasturelands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens, and they will turn in fear to the Lord our God, and then and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show in mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and will show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray now as we come and open this passage together that you will just give us eyes to see what your spirit will say to us. Help us to respond to you this morning in whatever way we need to today, whether we need to be challenged or encouraged, to be comforted or made uncomfortable. Lord, we just pray that our hearts will be open to you. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're just two weeks out from Christmas, four days out from a general election. You know, going back a few months, who would have ever thought that such delightful events could come together? I'm sure we're eagerly anticipating both of them. If you're in doubt of what's sent for a Christmas card, don't send that. I don't know what we'll wake up to on Thursday, on Friday, sorry, morning, do we? We don't know what government will be in power. But I can guarantee that whatever government is in power, it will fail in some way or other. Because every government always has. The promises that every political party make are never fully follow through. It's often said that most politicians' career ends in failure. When you think about it, think how many prime ministers have actually gone out with a glorious triumph at the end of their tenure. It doesn't always happen that way. So you might wake up on Friday morning with a sense of wow or a sense of woe. Contrast that with how we can wake up on Christmas morning. Forget the presents for a minute. Think about Jesus. Think about the promises of God. Think about God who says that all his words will come true. Who makes promises that have been faithful in the past and will be faithful in the, tr- in the future. What a contrast. What a contrast to wake up on Christmas morning. Well, today we're in our last week with the prophet Micah. Just a very quick reminder, we're in the 8th century. Micah is this prophet who speaks both hope and judgment to both nations in the north of Israel and in the south of Judah. And the reading that we've just read together 
is a bit different from the, the, the rest of the book that we've been looking at before, because actually we're skipping forward. Micah is now looking forward to the time post 587 where Jerusalem has fallen. And what we find in these verses is a kind of liturgy. It's a kind of written down statement of worship. And it became very important, as we'll see as we look through this passage, to Jews who would use this as a liturgy for their own worship. Some of these verses we'll find are prayers. They're sort of pleading with the Lord to do something. We also get God speaking. And others are a restatement of God's covenant promises. That as God has been in the past, so he will be in the future. I think one of the most amazing things in this passage, though, is where it ends. Because it doesn't end with God saying, you know, the, the kingdom is going to be restored, you're going to have prosperity and peace and lots of money and great big houses. It's none of that. God's promise is for forgiveness, for compassion, for mercy. When Jesus starts his ministry in Mark's Gospel, he uses these words. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And what we find in Jesus' ministry is that the hope that Micah speaks about becomes a fixed and eternal reality. All that God has already done points to the future and to what God will do and will completely do for eternity. Who saw the sunrise on Thursday morning? Yeah, quite a lot of us. This was, I think, Louisa's photo um, of some houses in Lim with the, the sky just went sort of this brilliant red colour, didn't it? Looked like everything was aflame. And it reminded me, that sunrise of these verses from Lamentations. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so as we look at these words from Micah this morning, we can say great is your faithfulness. As God has been merciful, so God will be merciful. Judah and Israel, their leaders, ultimately were to fail them. There were good kings. If you are here last week, John was telling us about some of the monarchs who would reign. And you get people like Hezekiah and Josiah who weren't too bad and tried to bring people back to the Lord. But the general sort of trajectory of both nations is a downward slope into idolatry and sin. And both end up falling to the empires roundabout. If you've got the passage there in front of you, just have a look at verse 14. What we find this passage start with is actually a prayer. And it's a prayer, really, for God to be the shepherd of his people. The shepherd in the sort of national psyche of Israel and Judah was seen as the perfect model of kingship. Who was Israel's greatest king? David. What was David before he was a king? A shepherd. So people would look back and think, if only we had a king like David. You know, during election times, I don't know if, you, if you've heard people do this. I've heard quite a number of people do this. Is They reminisce about previous leaders. And I've heard people say, you know, if only Maggie was here now, this Brexit would be sorted out. Have you heard people say that? I've heard a number of people say that. 
Or how about we need a Churchill at the moment? We need, I'm not talking about the dog from the advert, but we need a Churchill who will come and govern over us with wisdom. But actually, the idea of the shepherd king couldn't be fulfilled by a human being. There is no human being who is flawed, who is capable of leading God's people in that way. Who says, I am the good shepherd? It's Jesus, isn't it? It's Jesus who fulfills the longing of this prayer here. Jesus said, my sheep were the exodus. The exodus was the time when God delivered his people out of Egypt. The people had been enslaved to the Egyptians. And um, what had happened was the, the plagues came on the Egyptians. And then the people were led by Moses out through the Red Sea, which parted into the wilderness. There were miracles. They were fed with manna and quails. When Moses struck the rock with his um, staff, water gushed out, and they saw God do amazing wonders amongst them. Just think about what God has done amongst us today. He has done amazing wonders. In the cross, we see the fulfillment of all of God's promises. In the resurrection, we see the hope of what is to come. You know, it's one thing, isn't it? We can read all the promises of God, and there are many. You can read your Bible, and you can say, look at all these amazing things God has said. And then we can live very differently. We cannot enact what we've said we believe. Belief actually devoid of action doesn't mean a lot, does it? If I say I believe something, but don't do anything about it, I would start to question whether I believe it in the first place. It says in Psalm 31, verse 15, my times are in your hands. Now, I believe that, but I can still run around like a headless chicken in panic, not trusting that what God says is true. It's easy to sing a song that says, I will trust in you. It's much harder to do it, isn't it? It's much harder when we're faced with illness or faced with financial problems or faced with pressures at work to then think, is that really true? Is God really with me in this situation? C.S. Lewis once said, there'd be no sense in saying you trusted Jesus if you would not take his advice. We didn't believe what Jesus says. Does it really make any sense to say that we trust him? See, living in light of the promises of God, living in light of what we find in Micah, is to both believe it and to put it into practice. To believe and to enact. When Jesus says, repent and believe the good news, he's basically saying that, isn't he? He's saying, believe, believe what is being spoken about, and then repentance, turn away from those things that God doesn't want you to do. But also an important part of repentance is turning to God and doing those things that God wants you to do. And one of those things that God wants us to do is to believe his promises, to believe that what he says is true. Verses 16 to 17, we we see about human power. And we see that human power will all fall apart and come to an end. And people will refuse to listen. And if you look at verse 17, it says they will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. Sort of going back to the imagery of Genesis, of the snake being cursed and crawling on the ground. Without God, that is what human power will, will happen to it. Human power depends on influence, on control, doesn't it? 
And if you look back to the time when Micah was writing, in the time of the 8th century, there were these huge empires that would be forged. And what would take place was that if you had the biggest army, if you had the best weapons, if you had metal spears and things like that, you could go and you could invade huge areas of land. And so we see the empires of Assyria, of Babylonia, of the Medes and Persians. They grow very quickly and they grow to be enormous sizes. And then they collapse in on themselves as human power corrupts. Yet God's power remains. God's power, which is made perfect not in military strength or control or might, but in weakness, remains constant. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll be giving and receiving presents. I wonder if you've ever done what I have to hold my hand up ashamedly and say I have done. I won't ask you to do it. You bought somebody a present... But actually, you want the present. But you bought it for somebody else in the hope that you will benefit from the present that you were bought out of your kindness for this other person. Just to give an example, you might see on Groupon that there is afternoon tea in the Hilton in Manchester. And you're there thinking, wouldn't it be amazing to sit and have afternoon tea in the Hilton, looking out over the city centre? Well, you think I can't justify spending that money on myself. So you buy it for a friend then has to go with you. But actually what you've done, or what I've done when I've done things like that, and Claire knows when I've done them, go to her and she'll give you some examples of times that I've done them. We're trying to control somebody, aren't we? In a very subtle way, we're trying to influence and sort of bring people into our sphere of control and make them do what we want them to do. Most human sort of attempts at power grabs involve thinking that actually what I want is the best thing and trying to bring other people into our severe of influence. Now that could happen with present buying. That's just a bit of a small example. But it can happen in the workplace, can't it? It can happen in family life. It can happen on the world stage. And dare I say it, it can happen in the life of the church. When actually we think it's my ideas that are the best. And we want those to be recognized by other people. We want to bring other people into our sphere of influence. And we can even try and force people, manipulate people to our way of thinking. But human power is based on flawed human nature, isn't it? It's based on wanting to control. God's power is based on the total reverse. It's based on wanting his people to be free. On release on setting the captives free. Think of the Exodus. That was all about freedom. What's the cross all about? It's about freedom, isn't it? It's about God freeing us from those things that would control us. See, God has no need to impress us, does he? He has no need to try and sort of make himself look bigger than he is because he's all sovereign. He's all knowing. Rather, God just wants us to be the people that he originally created us to be in the first place. Look at verse 18, he said, Who pardons sin and forgives, who does not say angry forever, and delights in showing mercy. Now those verses, those verses became really significant in Jewish worship. And one writer tells us this, says, Once every year on Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, the Orthodox Jew goes to a stream or river and symbolically empties his sins from his pockets into the water as he recites Micah 7, 18 to 20. This is the Tashlish service, named after the word 
you shall cast. It symbolizes the fact that God will take our sins, wash them down the streams of running water, and then into the depths of the ocean. What is God calling you to cast out of your pockets as we approach Christmas? What are those things that need forgiving in us? You see, the greatest thing, the greatest gift that God offers to us as human beings is his son, isn't it? His son who brings about forgiveness through the blood of the new covenant. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Because when we're forgiven, we can be restored. Restored in relationship with God. Restored in relationship with each other. And restored into that good relationship with ourselves. But you see, as we go back and as we think what Jesus said in the beginning of Mark's Gospel to repent and believe about accepting what God has said and enacting it, we find that this whole concept of forgiveness, this whole concept of repentance, it is both in us, but then it's enacting it in the world we live. Ephesians 4 verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. See, the biggest problem the world faces today is not Brexit. It is not the election that happens on Thursday. It is not even some of these enormous challenges we face about climate change. The biggest problem, the Bible will tell us time and time again, is unforgiveness. Because it's out of our desire to control and out of our desire that we we don't live as God wants us to live, that all these other things start to spill out. And we find that our world becomes wrecked, our relationships become wrecked. And God comes in, in Christ so that we can be forgiven. I want us to think just for a few moments about three different types of forgiveness. The first way that God forgives is he forgives us in ourselves so that we are forgiven by God. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far have you taken our sins from us. You know, God can forget. We can't intentionally forget. We can can forget well enough, can't we, when we're trying to remember something. But there will be those things in our brains that actually we would rather forget, but we can't. God can. When we turn to him, when we confess those things to him that have gone wrong, He forgets. He hurls them into the ocean as far as the east is from the west. You know, today, I don't know if you feel that you're living in guilt or condemnation, but if you turn to God in repentance and faith, you don't need to. It's all dealt with. The cross has dealt with it all. As we remember in bread and wine what Jesus has done, we are free from condemnation. Second way we need to forgive is about forgiving each other. See, when we accept God's forgiveness, we're then called to enact that with one another. You may be sat here today and actually deep inside something isn't right. You may find, or I may find, that we're we're holding a grudge against somebody. That there's bitterness and that bitterness is consuming us. It's zapping the joy and the life out of us. See, the call of God is to enact what we have received 
You know, we have received lavish, outrageous forgiveness. And God calls us to do the same with one another. What does that mean? What does forgiveness mean? What does it mean to forgive somebody? Well, it means you stop wanting to have power over them, to control them, to seek revenge over them. You want the best for them. You want, you want them to flourish. Now, I don't know this Christmas time, I don't know as we go into these next few weeks, whether your life is being hindered by unforgiveness. Now, if you're married, I don't know if that is damaging your marriage. If you're in a workplace, I don't know if it's damaging the relationship with your colleagues. If you're a, a child or a parent, whatever it is. But what I do know is that God's word says we have been forgiven. We are to be forgivers. Is that easy? Is it just a flick of a switch? No. We're human. We struggle with these things. Sometimes it is a long, long process. Sometimes it starts with us just saying, Lord, I'm not yet ready to forgive, but help me to be ready to forgive. Help me to start to take this journey. But God is faithful. God will help us to demonstrate his character. The third thing is self-forgiveness. Sometimes I think the hardest thing to actually do in life is to forgive ourselves. We may know that God has forgiven us. We may be able to forgive other people. But actually none of us sat in this room today can say, I have lived my life with no regrets. If you have, put your hand up, but I can guarantee you're not telling the truth. None of us have lived our life without regrets. If I could replay the last 24 hours, there would be things that I would do differently. There would be words that I have said that I would probably not want to say again. Because we are fallen human beings. God is under no illusion about that. He reaches to us even in that and offers us forgiveness. What about forgiving ourselves? What about allowing the freedom that God brings to resonate deeply within us and say, I will not keep punishing myself for what Christ has taken from me? Self-forgiveness is literally an acting and accepting going hand in hand. Today, it doesn't matter as we approach the end of Micah what you've done. You can't get so far from God that he can't forgive. As we look this Christmas time, into the manger, we see the greatest gift of God is to free us. Is to free us. Look at that verse 19 promise again. He will hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Hurl them into the depths of the sea. You know, are there those things in your pockets today that need hurling into the depths of the sea? Can I encourage us as we gather just in a moment or two around the communion table to come in confidence knowing that that's what God has said as in the past, as he has done it in the past, so he will continue in the future. What a truth to accept. You know, the hope of the incarnation is not primarily that a baby came, although that is obviously important, but it's who the baby is. If Jesus is God from God, light from light will sing. Begotten, not made. He is the word made flesh. God himself who comes to take all that which we cannot deal with ourselves and says, come and walk in freedom. 
Come and be free. Come and have relationship with me. Restored relationship with each other and that restored relationship with yourself. That's what Michael looks forward to. It's my heart and my prayer that we will look forward to and walk in that this Christmas time. Let's just spend a moment in quiet. There may be things that you need to just bring before God. It may be the things that are in your metaphorical pockets this morning. And then I'm going to ask the the music team if they'll come up and then Chris will lead us into communion. So just a moment of quiet. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Lord, we thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you for the certain hope that we can walk in today. Great is your faithfulness. Amen.